morning, beloved children of God. Let's join in prayer. Indeed, O oh God, it is a good morning. And we come here today to celebrate all the gifts that you've given to us. We pray, O oh God, that you might open our hearts and minds as the word is read. And as the word is spoken and heard, that we might go forth as indeed your beloved, alive, and ready to be your disciples. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, I grew up in the 50s when I was a little kid. And you can remember back then, if you were alive back then, the good old days of Ozzie and Harriet. Or my three sons, you know those, leave it to beaver. Well, in each one of those households, everything was perfect. And I also had a mother who was an interior designer before I was born. And so everything in our household was perfect, at least to what they could afford at that point in time. Everything had its place, and everything was neat and tidy. When I was married, it was assumed that I, too, would be able to do that that I would have the perfect house, nicely decorated, everything in its place, plus I would have well-prepared, well-balanced, and exquisitely served <laughs> on a beautiful table, and that my children would be immaculate, clean, tidy, that matched the house, and that they would all and always be polite and brilliant. You know that kind of pressure? Plus then, feeling called by God, I knew I needed to follow this call and to become a pastor. So I was now taking care of home, kids, taking care of church, congregation, trying to do it all. And I finally decided that I just needed to rid myself of all that desire to have that neat and tidy house. It was the thing that could go. I was feeling quite good about having made that decision. I decided that being a working mother, there were only two things I needed to do, and if I did both of those, I could wipe out the guilt. One, my kids always had a homemade Halloween costume. <laughs> and they were good. <laughs> two, they always had a homemade 
and nicely decorated by their mother, birthday cake. Everything else, I could let go. That was until Martha Stewart arrived. <laughs> and up went my guilt level again and again and again. It was not a good thing, Martha. Not a good thing. There are some household tips, though, that I'd like to share with you. I have no idea where I got these, but I do remember them. This might reflect more my philosophy of Pals Clayton. I'm not that bad, really. Um, cobwebs. Draped over lampshades reduces the glare from the bulb, thereby creating a more romantic atmosphere. And if your partner points out, or someone points out, that the light fixture needs a little dusting, simply look confused and say, what, and spoil the mood? <laughs> and plus, if worse comes to worse, you can throw glitter on them for holiday act, you know, festivities. Or I like this one, dusting. If the dust is really out of control, like on your coffee tables and end tables, all you really need to do is buy a fancy, good-sized urn and put it on the table and proclaim to your guests that this is where Grandma wanted her ashes scattered. <laughs> Bad, huh? And lastly, windows. Layers of dirty film on the windows that have built up year after year after year after year. It's very useful. You can simply explain that you're protecting your skin. It has an SP value of 14, <laughs> 15, you know, 30 maybe. It depends on how long it's been since you've washed those windows. I really like this passage in today's Bible. I'm not going to give you more household tips. <laughs> because Martha hasn't quite gotten that message that a little dirt and a little mess is okay. She's busy. She's kind of a woman after my own heart in many ways. She has a guest who has come to their house. And he's not just any guest. He's an important guest. So she wants to make a good impression. We all would want to do that. And this was her role as a woman in the first century. Mostly her primary role as a woman in the first century. She wanted to make sure that the table was set, the house was clean, there was a meal to prepare, a special meal given the guest, drinks set before him, and ultimately she had to clean up. There were dishes to be done. She knows. I think she probably would have loved to sit with Jesus. But that wasn't her spot. That wasn't her role. She needed to do things. Now, you've all had company for dinner. Do you ever have special company and you want to make a good impression? Right? You go out of your way 
You want to execute a meal that's worth remembering? The person will want to come back, want to be your friend? Being a hostess with the mostess is not easy. It's hard work. I also know, though, that there are Marthas here in your midst. They can be men or women. And I am so thankful as a pastor for those people. We need, the church needs Marthas. You know who you are. You're the ones that set up and take down receptions. You volunteer to do those. We know who to call on to make that happen. You set up the coffee hours. You clean up the coffee hours. You arrange the chairs for meetings. You get there early so it looks just right. You make sure all the linens are nice and folded and set up. You tidy up the congregation, you know, the sanctuary. You can't tidy up a congregation. That doesn't work. <laughs> tidy up the sanctuary. You get all the little papers in the right spot, the hymnals in the right spot. And I'm looking here and everything is in the right spot. The church needs Marthas. Marthas are probably also those who grumble a little when they see somebody walk through those doors with a cup of coffee in their hand. Or they see somebody put that coffee cup down on something where that shouldn't be placed, right? You know those Marthas. I can see some of you going, yeah, that's me. But we need Marthas. Church definitely needs Marthas. We'd be in serious trouble without Marthas. But, but the key here in this story is not so much, I think, that Martha was busy. She needed to be busy. Somebody had to be busy. Her sister wasn't being busy. But I know she failed to practice hospitality. There's a difference. Paul, over and over again in his writings, says practice hospitality. The Jews were instructed to show hospitality not only to those who were Jewish, but also to the sojourner and the stranger in their midst. That phrase appears over and over in the Old Testament. So when it comes down to it, Mary and Martha were taking a risk to practice hospitality. Inviting a man, even if they knew that man, into their household as single women, that wasn't done very much. Plus, hospitality by its nature requires us to take a risk. So one, they made this risk. They invite this man into their household, even if they knew him. And two, they, they say, we want you to come in and we want to open up ourselves. We want to talk with you. We want to be with you. We want to help you. We want to serve you a meal. Um, that takes a risk. Inviting someone into your household takes a bit of a risk. You make sure you know that person pretty well. Before you do that, one, you don't want that person going home and talking about the fact that your house wasn't that clean, it's not tight, no. But, but, 
You want to take a risk to get to know the other one. William Willimon once said, the main problem with the other is they tend to be so other. Right? Have you noticed when you have family and friends over, it really doesn't matter what you put on the table so much, unless it's a holiday? It's okay to reach in the refrigerator and see what you got and pull it out and put things down. You know, you're accepted and everything's going to be relaxed and fun and you're going to have a good conversation because you know these people already. But invite somebody else over. Someone you don't know very well. And we go out of our way to make sure everything is perfect. We start planning a few days ahead what we're going to serve. We make sure we go to the store, that we have it. We actually look up a recipe. And, and when we have the meal, we sit there and we start making excuses. Right? Did you get enough? Oh, I'm sorry. I... I I should have got, asked you if you wanted something more to drink. I, I meant to serve this, but then I thought about that. And we find ourselves being really anxious about how the meal's going. We don't have that relaxed atmosphere. We don't have time or we're not really present to the other at those meals. We're too worried about how it's going. That's what Martha's doing. Martha opened the door to the stranger. She knew Jesus, but opened the door to him. So she practiced hospitality, but she failed the spirit of hospitality. She kept herself so busy that she didn't have time for vacation. A vacation conversation. <laughs> and and not only did she not have time for conversation, the only conversation we have was her complaining. One, one sentence in this. Lord, do you not care that I am left to do all the work by myself? that my lazy, good-for-nothing sister isn't helping at all. She's just sitting there. Don't you see this? I've never heard expressions like that in the church. Have you? How come I'm doing all the work? They're not doing anything. How come we can't get... That's another sermon. <laughs> but... But part of hospitality is not only inviting the stranger into our homes or into our lives, but also then taking the time to sit and have conversation and to get to know one another and to open ourselves up and to not be so anxious about it all. I like the fact in Presbyterian churches that we have tables that are usually front and center in our sanctuaries. It's a table that reminds us that we share a meal together. 
We don't share the meal every Sunday, but the symbol is still here. That we can gather around this table with one another and we get to know one another in so doing. You know, that Jesus sat at that table with his disciples and said, hey, you know, when, when you're here, remember me and remember how to be hospitable as I was hospitable. Remember that you were loved as I loved you. Remember that what you say and what you do and how you care is important because that's the way I cared for you. This symbol is, is like our tables in our homes where that same kind of spirit and that same kind of meal can be shared. Not only in places like the sanctuary here, but, but in our homes as well. Let me just tell you one little story about something that happened. When Bill and I were first married, um, we were getting ready to go on vacation for a month, and I got a phone call from um, a woman just calling the church because we were near um, Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo at the time. And they were look, looking for housing for two women whose, a woman whose husband and friend were being treated at Roswell. He was seriously ill with cancer. And I said, you know, we've got this little apartment. It's not much. It's third floor walk up. We were just newly married, but we're leaving for a month and I'd let somebody be there. Well, this, these two women, the woman with the husband and her friend um, were there and they ran into another woman from their hometown whose husband was also being treated. So they invited her to come live in our apartment and that was great. And we never met the women. When we arrived home, um, the woman, one woman's husband had died two days before and the other woman's husband apparently had died few days after we arrived home, but she had moved out. And I got a letter from the one woman who was the friend. And she said to, that if we ever wanted to sell that table in our dining room, she would like to buy it. She said, because the richness of the conversation, the prayers spoken around that table, the hospitality and the love and the care that she experienced around that table. She knew where God dwelt. And we have tables like this. We have that potential of creating that same kind of environment of love and care, of prayer, here in this space that we take out and share then with others around our own tables. It's a place to come and listen and to get to know one another and be hospitable to one another. 
to sit maybe a little longer in your pew on a Sunday morning and turn around and talk to those around you after worship. Or to talk to three different people before you talk to your friends on a Sunday morning at coffee hour. To get to know others and offer hospitality. Just one other little thing. A further thought about this story. How hospitable are we to God in this place? Sometimes I think we plan worship as Martha's. Sing, pray, read, listen, sing, pray, listen, read, do, you know, and we're, it's so busy that we don't stop and wait and listen to what God might be saying to us. If we stay busy enough, we don't have to hear. We don't have to sit and be quiet. Right? And think. Just a thought. Not easy to be a good host, to practice hospitality, to allow ourselves to be open to the presence of God, and not only the presence of God, but the presence of the Spirit of God in each one of us. We like to make lots of jokes about poor Martha. But it's so easy to do that because I think deep down inside we know Martha. And she lives within each of us. Amen. I invite you just to be still for a moment. Don't go for your bulletins. Don't go for your hymns. Just to be still and listen. Help us, O oh God, to find ways to be more hospitable to you. Help us, O oh God, to find ways to be more hospitable to one another. Open us. Calm us. Chase the busyness away that we might hear. Amen.